quite a nice rebound um, yesterday. But a lot of but those are two totally unconnected events, though, Peter. Well, it's it's a sort of it's a global sell-off, isn't it, in technology stocks? It's uh, it's happening in China, in Hong Kong, in the U.S. Yeah. It's it seems to be a, a a global sell-off on on these tech stocks. A number of people talking about bubbles at well, the moment. Well, they were overpriced. That's that's why. And so there's a there's a there's a reassessment going on, and that reassessment has had the impact that people will sell now. But but people will also buy when there's an opportunity to buy at a cheaper price, and that's mm. that's clearly what's happened in at the, the Nasdaq. Um, whether it's a, a, the right time, whether it's a good price, uh, but what what I think is really uh, relevant is the volatility in that market has now become very extreme, and so you do need to take. A a lot of um, care as to uh, whether you participate in that or not. Well, thank you all very much. Lovely to talk to you. Have a great day. It's Stuart Alcroft, Chairman of City Trust, Michelle Lamb, Greater China Economist at Societe Generale Corporate and Investment Banking, and then over in Washington, D.C., our international economics correspondent, Barry Woods. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take our usual journey around Asia's stock markets. The SX200 in Australia is now flat. The Nikkei 225 in Japan up just 0.2%. Uh, futures markets suggesting about 230 points onto the Hang Seng at the open. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil slipping a little at $67.33 a barrel. Uh, gold is steady at $1,717 an ounce. That's it for me. This morning, do please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for Money Talk. Uh, back chat coming up in a moment with Hugh Chiverton and Karen Coe this morning. The weather forecast, mainly cloudy. Temperatures are going to linger around 20 degrees during the day. The outlook is for the weather to improve and it will be warm during the day with winds moderating in the next couple of days. Sunny periods during the weekend. It's 19 degrees right now, 79% relative humidity. It's 8.32. Here's Ben Che with the half-hour news. Health officials say another man is severely ill days after taking a Sinovac vaccine. He's thought to have suffered a heart attack, and there's no indication yet whether the vaccination had anything to do with his illness. The Department of Health says the chronically ill 51-year-old had diabetes and hypertension. He was inoculated last Wednesday, but started coughing and experiencing shortness of breath on Saturday. He sought treatment on Monday and was sent to intensive care at Queen Elizabeth Hospital. Officials said the case will be referred to a panel of experts. A new report from the World Health Organization has found a third of all women experience physical or sexual violence at some point in their lives. The report is the largest ever study of violence against women and includes data from the years 2000 to 2018. The WHO says the coronavirus pandemic has exposed more women to violence. Its report says partner violence is by far the most prevalent. It affects over 640 million women worldwide, many of them still in their teens. Claudia Garcia Moreno is from the UN agency. One out of every four adolescent girls aged 15 to 19 already have experienced or been subjected to either physical or sexual violence in the hands of a close partner. And I think this is very serious. A judge in the U.S. city of Minneapolis has selected the first two members of the jury for the trial of Derek Chauvin, the former policeman charged with murdering George Floyd last May by kneeling on his neck. This report from the BBC's Barbara Plett Usher. After months of protests, a moment of reckoning for policing and racism in America. 
Jury selection is the first step. In an unprecedented move, the trial is being broadcast live because COVID is keeping the public out of court. So Americans are getting a good look at Mr. Chauvin. It's the first time he's been seen on camera since a bystander filmed him last year, kneeling on George Floyd's neck for more than nine minutes as Mr. Floyd gasped for air and then fell silent. And that's the news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Hugh Chiverton. Your co-host today is Karen Coe. Karen, good morning to Hi, you. Good morning, Hugh. Today we're talking about COVID vaccine controversy and about the British royal family. Health authorities reported yesterday that another man has fallen severely ill days after taking a Sinovac vaccine against COVID-19. According to the hospital authority, the man has a history of various medical conditions, including diabetes and hypertension. Officials said the case will be referred to a panel of experts and again reminded people that patients with uncontrolled chronic illness should seek their doctor's advice before getting vaccinated. The expert panel had previously looked into a number of cases, including three deaths, but has yet to establish any link between the mainland-produced vaccine and any severe side effects. And the proportion of people turning up for their vaccine appointments had fallen from 90% at the launch of the programme last month to now 72%. So what should the public do when they want to know more on the vaccines? What if conditions are under control? What else do we need to know about the vaccines? Let us know your thoughts, your questions and comments on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, through email, that's backchat at rthk.hk, or on the phone. And our number is 233-88266. And after 9.15, we're going to be discussing the royal drama of the uh, British uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Is it a culture clash or something more? Let us know your thoughts. Backchat at rthk.hk. Just before we get to uh, today's topic, just a few uh, follow-up emails related to uh, earlier discussions and um, yesterday one of the topics was uh, the closure of UA cinemas. John Kowloon says the closure of UA cinemas, while not surprising, is yet another sign of the continued pressure facing retail landlords. And when you factor in the ongoing migration to online shopping, a trend that's accelerated during the COVID epidemic, it's not inconceivable that retail rents will at least halve from their recent peak levels. This should be welcome news for the beleaguered F&B sector, high-profile retail landlords who have hitherto remained very inflexible in reducing their asking rents to re- Reasonable levels need to wake up and smell the coffee to avoid a surge in their vacancy levels. Um, Anne says, I listened to your debate about ESF schools. I wonder why you invited a professor of computer science and engineering to lecture us on the pandemic. It would have been really beneficial to the debate if you invited an independent expert on epidemics or at least on health-related science. Dr Wu made several claims that were factually incorrect. I picked up on these. First, it's not true that ESF schools resumed face-to-face teaching. The amount of face-to-face hours vary among 22 ESF schools. Most ESF children have three to nine hours per week at school, i.e. only 12 to 36% of normal. It is simply not true that ESF have already resumed half-time. Second, ESF is not pushing beyond EDB's guidelines, as Dr Wu claimed, but merely following them. It's incorrect to criticise ESF for following EDB's guidelines. These false claims that can be easily debunked by evidence cast a shadow of doubt on Dr Wu's other claims. That is uh, from Anne. And uh, Samita says, good morning, I missed the start of the discussion uh, this morning. Mr Wu said uh, that, who said his kids are in uh, KG5, 
and his kids resume school and ask for transparency, etc. Could you help forward this email to him? My daughter in year seven at Ireland school has a solitary one day a week and a half in school. Most Chinese kids are absent from class. My son in year nine goes every other week and half day. For heaven's sake, they're desperate for face-to-face class. Social skills, physical sports are of extreme requirement for children. Please, please, I plead with teachers to get tested so that children can resume school. Where is the integrity of ESF? Lastly, not all ESF schools are open by or tri-weekly. That's from uh, Sumita. Thank you very much indeed for that. Back chat at rthk.hk. Joining us for the first part of the discussion, we have with us now uh, Professor Benjamin Cowling, Division Head in the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong, and Dr. Gabriel Choi, President of the Hong Kong Medical uh, Association. Good morning to both of you. Um, Dr. Choi, maybe maybe we'll start with you. Um, uh, What what do you make of these these deaths uh, and these uh, illnesses, this hospitalisation following the um, uh, vaccination? Are they cause for concern? I think they are cause for concern and uh, we should wait for the uh, data uh, of uh, the death rate from uh, death rate after vaccination compared with the uh, normal trend uh, uh, normal trend death rate of those uh, suffering from uh, uh, heart attack and strokes so we have to compare the two and I think Professor Cowling may have even more data on this um, Dr. Lam, is is it not normal though that some people may have adverse reactions to vaccines? So, are we making too much of of these cases? Uh, some people may have adverse reactions, but uh, these that uh, dying from uh, heart attack and strokes are not supposed to be those adverse reactions. Uh, so we have to look into the uh, number compared with the normal normal figures to see whether there's any relationship. Well, there, there was a report that came out um, on the 55-year-old woman who passed away four days after she received the Sinovac vaccine, and that autopsy, the preliminary autopsy, said that there was no connection between, there was no direct causal link between the vaccination and um uh, her death. So, are we really going to have to look at this on a case by case basis before being able to draw any conclusions about the, about if the number of deaths uh, uh, is unproportional to the normal death rate from these diseases? Then we have to look at the uh, cause of death. Uh, I think it's difficult to judge uh, whether there is a direct uh, relationship based on one or two cases. So, uh, we have to be sure whether. These numbers uh, keep on rising, uh, especially when the Sinovac vaccine are not supposed to be. Uh, there, there is no sufficient data to show that the Sinovac vaccine is um, useful for those over 60s. Do you do you you know that's another issue as well that we learned that in the mainland the vaccine is not recommended for people over the age of 60. So it's it's kind of confusing as to why it's being used here. And at the same time, when we roll out the vaccine, people over 60 are the first ones who are eligible. Are you, do you, can you shed any light on that? Or how does that, how does that make you feel when we see this kind of contradictory situation? Well, I feel uncomfortable. Uh, I, I, I think the scientific committee uh, make a decision uh, which they, they, which I'm not sure why they based their, what they based their decision on. 
So uh, as, a, as a doctor, I feel uncomfortable uh, about the decision. I cannot comment further because uh, I'm not in the scientific committee. Uh, the, the message from Patrick Nip was that this was being determined by an expert panel, um, and that was, uh, and they knew best. Uh, essentially, uh, that was their judgment. Their judgment was that uh, it was the the risk of uh, uh, the spread of the disease was greater than um, the risks associated with this vaccine. So therefore, it was worthwhile taking the vaccine, and that was the determination of the expert panel. Initially, uh, decided that uh, the vaccine uh, should be given based on uh, the, the data from the uh, trial results, but the trial results data was not forthcoming, and they finally make the decision uh, changing uh, their position, and that was a bit uh, confusing uh, on their part. Uh, they said they had adequate information. They had enough. They asked for extra information. They got it, and then on that basis of that information, they made this judgment. Yeah. So based on that, I think they they should uh, supply the local uh, doctors and family doctors with a list of uh, do's and don'ts, uh, which uh, patients' uh, condition are not suitable for uh, vaccination, and which are which are just like the Singapore government did. Mm. So. Have they done that? Have so they actually so you're, done you're that? saying they haven't done that for doctors because at the moment they are referring patients to doctors, aren't they? They're saying don't ask the people yeah, doing the vaccinations, ask your doctor. They're putting their owners on the, mm. on the GPs. Now, that, that is not favorable because uh, the family doctors are not sure uh, what are the risks. So what kind of sugar levels uh, should not get vaccination? Uh, what kind of blood pressure levels uh, should not be uh, getting vaccination? So... Uh, what, what is uh, unstable uh, condition of these chronic illnesses? What other chronic illnesses uh, should not get vaccination? I think all these um, should be, uh, these status, uh, these decisions should be made by the scientific committee, uh, which allowed the vaccination to uh, go on uh, at the first instance. Okay. Uh, here's an email from uh, Matthew, and perhaps uh, Professor Cowling, if you, if you could address this. Uh, Matthew says, uh, if there are different experts on the program today, as there are, I would like to see if I can get a direct fact-based answer to the two questions I asked Dr. Chan yesterday, which were not clearly answered. First, let's do them one by one. Uh, is it really true that the mainland government has not approved Sinovac for people over 60 yet? Uh, yet Hong Kong has? And if so, how could this possibly be? Professor Cowling mentioned on Hong Kong Today that the Hong Kong government is no longer recommending Sinovac for people over 60, but another expert seems to indicate this has not yet been done. Can someone clarify? Professor Cowling? Yeah, sure. So in the mainland, the vaccine, the Sinovac, is allowed to be given to people over 60 years of age, but only after some maybe some doctor has cleared it or there's been an assessment. I think the exact wording is something like use with caution in people over 60. And certainly in the mainland, they are doing some mass vaccination efforts, but they're not doing mass vaccination efforts in over 60s with Sinovac like we are here. So it's more like a case-by-case basis. And I'm sure there are elderly in the mainland who've received Sinovac, but not necessarily in large, large numbers. And for the second point about, about uh, the local situation, I don't think I said that elderly locally and not recommended to receive something. I, I don't think there's been a change in policy, but there maybe is a little bit more caution now in terms of using Sinovac. Particularly, I, I think there should be some caution in the 
community vaccination centres, where it's, it's really like a conveyor belt process that people come in, they, they tick the box in the consent form, and then they go to get jabbed, and then they're observed for 30 minutes, and then they go out the other door. And there's, there's not a lot of clinical assessment of any individual person unless a flag is raised by the person themselves or by a member of staff. And then there's a doctor on site to, to give advice. But I, I think some people with chronic conditions would slip through the net in those vaccination centres. Maybe they, they don't remember to say they've got a medical condition or, or they're not really asked very clearly. And then they get vaccinated. And that's not ideal. Okay. Can I just put the other question uh, from Matthew, which is, uh, we have seen lots of mainland vaccine diplomacy media propaganda with authoritarian leaders in the half dozen or so countries who are using Sinovac receiving the shipments at their airports and gushing with thanks to the CCP. Is there any data available on Sinovac death or illness rates in other places where it's being used? Or is Hong Kong the only place where data has been made transparent? Uh, Professor Cowling, do you know of uh, data on uh, death or illness and where Sinovac is being used? I don't know, and I, I would suspect in the other parts of the world where Sinovac is being used, the, the data collection systems may not be as strong as they are in Hong Kong. So, I mean, in Hong Kong we have excellent medical data, we have electronic health records, and uh, I think the, the quality of data here is going to be among the best, the best in the world. So those other places are actually going to be looking to Hong Kong to see how we're getting on with Sinovac, particularly in older adults, because I, I suspect in those other parts of the world they may not be using Sinovac in their elderly yet either. Mm. Uh, in, in those other places, some of them, then it's not, it's uh, ruled out for older people, is it? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. The, well, not the, ruled the in. Exact things. In Indonesia, in Mexico, in Brazil, my suspicion is they may not yet be using it in their elderly. Okay. All right. Uh, our number is 233. Sorry. No, <laughs> Keep uh, Professor Kelly, you raised an interesting point. So you said that, as far as you know, um, that Sinovac is uh, being used in patients over 60 on the mainland? I think so. I, right. I, I don't think it's ruled out. So if you look at the product insert, it's actually a little bit vague. So one of the differences between the, the product inserts for maybe Sinovac and some of the other vaccines when a vaccine goes through the approval process with the FDA or the European Medicine Agency, they're very, very careful on the product insert to say very specific things. Um, so whereas for the, for the Sinovac, there's some very vague statements in the product insert, like the, the statement that I mentioned, that mm -hmm. use with caution in, in people over 60. And it's not really clear what that means. I don't think that would, would, would get into a, a product insert under the FDA, they'd asked for something very specific and clear. Um, and so there was a question earlier on this show about what medical conditions are permitted or not permitted, and that's not clear. Right. And w what other vaccines are they using in over-60s on the mainland? Do you know? I don't think they are using any vaccines in large numbers in over-60s on the mainland yet. So maybe they've got an idea they're going to wait for the BioNTech vaccine uh, or they've got another vaccine. Of course, they're going to produce the BioNTech vaccine in the mainland, for the mainland population, our BioNTech vaccine is coming from Germany, but in the mainland there's a deal with Hosen Pharma to produce some of it there. Maybe they've got some other vaccines in the pipeline which are more effective as well, and they're waiting for those to come through so they can use those in, in their elderly. But I, I don't know the exact reason. I don't think anybody has, has really heard what, what, their, what their plan is. Okay. And Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead, I know there are a lot, there are a lot of questions. Yeah. Um, uh, listeners first, maybe. Okay, we've we got Mike on the line, I think, now. Mike, good morning. Here's an email I wrote to you yesterday that you didn't feel that was um, um, hit the spot, and I think it does. And here's the problem with denials. I'll read it for you. Here's the problem with denials 
the jabs didn't cause the death. Follow the science. Jabs are supposed to elicit an immune response. That response increases inflammation. Once an inflammation response occurs and cascades, the actual vaccine material may not be the cause of death, but the out-of-control inflammation did. So when the people say the vaccine didn't cause the death, they're technically correct. It was the secondary issue that caused the death. So, you know, for people to stay up, you know, get on the radio and say, well, that, that injection didn't cause the death. Technically, they're correct. Science that you're, uh, you know, you're, 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 any response from your people? Professor Yeah, sure. I mean, that's really an excellent point, Mike. But what I would say in response is that other vaccines we use in in elderly, the pneumococcal vaccine, the flu vaccine, of course, they stimulate an immune response, there's a cascade, but that doesn't lead to death. Um, So maybe something's gone wrong with uh, the the immune response to to this particular vaccine if the deaths are related. and I, I think it's a really good point that when, when you talk about causal relations, the, the way I understand it, it from, from what I've heard from, from the committee on, on causality, is that unless the, the person who's been vaccinated has an immediate strong allergic reaction, that, that would be linked to the vaccine. But anything a few days later is too difficult to say whether it was or wasn't. Well, and therefore, is, is it, you know, is uh, it on the side that it may not be. But I, I don't think it's that clear cut. Um, is it inflammation? I mean, isn't, earlier, you isn't, have to look at the rates of events. Isn't inflammation one of the, inflammation is one of the major causes of uh, heart attacks and/or stroke? Doctor Choi, you're right, but we yeah. don't see heart attacks and strokes after receiving other vaccines like the influenza vaccine and the pneumococcal vaccine. Uh, so well, whether you do, the, the, you do see the inflammation, you do see the inflammation, but in course, some people, the inflammation is not going to be is not going to be fatal. In other people, the inflammation is going to be fatal. Dr. Choi, do you know? Right, but I, I don't think we'll, we'll sign up the vaccines that there's a, a, a risk of death from, you know, as a side effect of the vaccine. We, we understand there's mild side effects like sore arm and, and maybe a fever. And of well, course, what is uh, that? On rare occasions, one in 100,000, there's a, what a is serious that reaction, but, but not, not, not heart attacks and strokes. That's right. So the healthy people, if you're very healthy and an inflammation response isn't going to kill you, well, then you're, going, you're okay to take the vaccine. And this was my second point in my email, that this is informed consent. And informed consent means that you should educate people uh, to the best of your ability, and that isn't what's been happening. What's been happening is you be a good citizen, you be a good patriot, do it for the country, you can trust us, we're, we're the government. But they haven't had. Uh, okay, uh, we we've got a medical doctor. Um, Professor Cowling is not he's not a medical doctor. Doctor Choi, do you want to comment on that point about inflammation? Have you got any observations? That's a possible theory, but uh, we are, we should be uh, awaiting the scientific community's uh, data to compare the uh, deaths due to natural cause or the deaths to, uh, after the jab. So. Uh, unless the figures are out that there is an increase in number of deaths after the jab, uh, you cannot be very sure that uh, it is directly related. But so, see, here's uh, here's one uh, of my here was one of my points, so, and that is what we've been told for the last year that if somebody dies of COVID, I mean they may have died of a natural cause, they may have had a heart attack, and they may have had a stroke. 
But then if they were positive COVID, then they were told that they died of COVID. But it, with the vaccine, it's entire, it's the opposite. If you, if you died of a heart attack or, or a stroke, oh, well, they died of a heart attack, an unrelated thing. Oh, by the way, they did have a jab two days ago. So you're not consistent with your, di- with your, um, with your method of uh, telling us how people died. Okay, so, Mike, th- th- thanks, for your, thanks for your point. Sorry, did you want to come back, Pastor Cowling? Um, so I, what, what occurs to me is whether there might be something unusual about the Sinovac vaccine, because I, I, I agree with Mike that, that it's, 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 um, it's possible that an inflammatory response can cause um, medical events downstream. But that's not what we expect from, from vaccines. That's not what we see for flu vaccines, pneumococcal vaccines. I wonder whether there might be something unusual about the sign of that vaccine. We don't have an awful lot of data in the over 60s. But maybe these are just coincidental events. All right. Uh, Mike, many thanks for your call. 2338 Uh Paisley, in an email, says, if the government's vaccine programme is to succeed, it must do two things. Firstly, it has to allay growing concerns about the safety of the Sinovac vaccine. Secondly, it has to coax the sceptical public to be vaccinated, be it with Sinovac or Pfizer, by dangling two carrots in front of them. One, as some listeners have suggested, the government should set a deadline, say June the 30th, after which all restaurants can only welcome customers who have completed their two-dose vaccine programme. This will effectively force the vast majority of Hong Kongers to immediately sign up for the shots. Second, uh, government should also allow locals as well as overseas visitors who have been vaccinated to forego the current 21-day hotel quarantine when they arrive in Hong Kong. Even if the government is initially reluctant to waive this very taxing rule, it should, at a bare minimum, relax the rule, perhaps reducing the 21 days to seven days and allowing locals to spend that reduced quarantine period at home in lieu of a hotel. This would help kickstart in travel and help resuscitate uh, dying hospitality and retail sectors. That's uh, from uh, Paisley. Uh, S says it looks like the woman who died four days after vaccination was well enough to go to the vaccination centre and suddenly developed symptoms after the vaccination followed by death does not give a strong indication of the link between vaccination and death. Uh, Leslie Ann says, Dear Backjack, can you please ask why the swimming pools and beaches are still not open? The chlorine kills the virus in pools and being able to walk and sit on beaches is highly preferable to roaming around crowded shopping malls. It's just ridiculous that all other spots, facilities are open, yet we cannot swim. And uh, Doug says, when is the government set uh, out a roadmap to open up travel? Remove the unscientific two hours in UK within 21 days. Can't travel direct to Hong Kong. Even then, 21 days quarantine to support local hotels. Children in education overseas can't return to Hong Kong for Easter to spend 21 days in solitary confinement locked up in a hotel. Then some two days later return to their education overseas. Parents can't book tickets or even arrange summer holidays as the government's not being open and honest to the public on the roadmap out of this pandemic. Zero cases is unrealistic. Every year the government put up posters for zero road deaths. It's unrealistic, but they still waste time and money to promote this. That comes from Doug. Uh, Dr Choi, uh, if they want to get more people to be vaccinated, uh, what do you think the administration should be doing? Do you agree on those suggestions, relaxing certain measures for people who've had the vaccine and so on? I think vaccination is the way to go, but uh, which vaccine uh, is the is the main main question. So after all these negative uh, uh, um, the media reports of deaths, uh, is going to it, it has actually deterred the 
family doctors uh, practice of uh, giving the vaccination uh, to a 20% reduction in the vaccination rate. So uh, we have to be more energetic uh, to show the public that uh, the government has actually been looking into uh, the depth in detail and uh, promoting the other vaccine uh, biotech to make sure that uh, those who have not get uh, vaccination, uh, if they are concerned, should get the other vaccine, uh, which has uh, not been, which has been uh, uh, promoted uh, for those over 60s. And, oh. uh, yes. Uh, and Professor Cowling, briefly, how would you uh, encourage more people to get vaccinated in Hong Kong? I think we could look at the success of BioNTech programs around the world. Israel, uh, tens of millions of doses administered. The US, I think they're getting on for almost 100 million BioNTech administered, something like that. And, and really no worrying reports of, of adverse events and it's a highly effective vaccine. So we've, we've got plenty of BioNTech coming. I would encourage people to sign up for BioNTech. Okay. Well, Professor Cowling, thanks for, for joining us. Many thanks to also to uh, Dr. Gabriel Choi, President of the Hong Kong uh, Medical Association. I'm going to be talking after the news at nine to uh, a patient, to uh, Alex Lam, who's a chairman of the Hong Kong Patients' Voices. We're also going to be talking about the uh, British Royals with the um, the controversy over uh, that uh, uh, long interview done by uh, Prince Harry. And uh, Megan, uh, if you've got any thoughts on that, uh, please share them by emailing us back, chat at rthk.hk, as ever. Or as ever, you can call us on 233-88266. We look forward to hearing from you. A quick look at the latest weather information now before the news at 9 o'clock. It's going to be mainly cloudy today. The temperatures will linger around 20 degrees during the day with one or two light rain patches at night. Moderate to fresh easterly winds, occasionally strong offshore and on high ground. And the outlook the weather will improve and it'll be warm during the day with uh, winds moderating in the next couple of days. Sunny periods over the weekend. And the readings at the moment, 19 Celsius with a relative humidity at 79%. Lives. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back, back chat this uh, Wednesday morning. Uh, we're talking about uh, the vaccine controversy uh, in, in Hong Kong. Uh, later, in about uh, 10 minutes' time or so, we're going to be talking about the royal controversy in the uh, UK following that uh, uh, interview with uh, Prince Harry and uh, Meghan Markle, uh, which has been described as explosive. Um, your thoughts on that? Uh, we're going to be talking to Tim Hamlet later on that. Uh, you can email backchat at rthk.hk. You can call us on 233 or go to our Facebook page as well, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Um, some comment there. Um, so let's have a look at the uh, the discussion on uh, COVID, first of all. Uh, Victoria says, uh, Dr Hopak Lung's Facebook posted an interesting study compiling stats from the CDC and phase three uh, concerning a reactogenicity on placebo versus Pfizer's BioNTech. It's well worth a read for everyone's consideration. Uh, Marcus says, why do the medical experts say there is no proof of a link between the deaths and the Sinovac jab, yet offer absolutely no other explanation? Uh, Marcus also says, is the BioNTech jab uh, made with Fosun Pharma as reported or still the BioNTech Pfizer jab that is uh, imported? 
Uh, well, we're joined now by uh, Alex Lam, who's uh, chairman of uh, Hong Kong Patients Voices. Um, just a couple more emails just before we talk to Mr. Lam. Uh, G says, uh, since there is a compensation fund, we can expect there will be a steadfast stream of denials from the expert panel that there is a causal link to the vaccination to these deaths. The question whether these individuals would have died when they did if they had not been vaccinated will not be answered unless a suit for negligence is launched. For once, I agree with Mike. That comes from, from uh, G. Uh, but uh, Richard II says, Mike is misconstruing the issue. Inflammation over the long term is a contributor to inflammation-related problems like arteriosclerosis, but over many years. The short-term causes of most heart attacks are always, always acute occlusions of the arteries by fragments of atheroma or blood clot. So the mechanism Mike cites is not the mechanism responsible for acute coronary syndrome, says uh, Richard II. Um, I don't know if Richard II is a doctor, so um, as I say, I don't can't say what the value of that um, specific medical advice is. Just put that disclaimer in, uh, Mr. Lamb. Good morning to you. Morning. Uh, we've seen uh, signs that I mean the administration has admitted that the the uh, the turn up rate for uh, uh, for vaccinations has, has fallen quite significantly, uh, even among you know people who who said they want to get vaccinations. Um, why do you think that's happening, and what do you think the administration needs to do to bring that rate back up again? After seeing the death cases in the past uh, weeks, uh, we we see the government has been responding uh, in a way that uh, they deny the uh, connection between the death and the vaccination uh, quite sensibly because uh, they they come out from the uh, the experts and we cannot uh, possibly uh, you know uh, deny this. Uh, but but uh, is it too early to draw in conclusion uh, uh, to the effect of the vaccine? Uh, and the death, uh, I think it's subject to return, uh, further investigation. Uh, but uh, uh, it's also, you mentioned about the uh, compensation fund, because it is for the, um, the expert panel to decide whether the, the claim is uh, uh, admissible or, or successful. Uh, if they make comments too early, that uh, they would uh, deter people uh, from... Uh, the vaccination, because uh, I believe that the compensation fund was established for the purpose of encouraging people to do the, the vaccination, that, uh, that they will be compensated if there's something wrong with the vaccine. Um, Mr. Lam, we're at this situation now where, uh, you know, people are losing confidence in the Sinovac jab, which is going to be a big problem. On one hand, you have the government campaigning to get everybody vaccinated. I mean, we even run those public interest announcements on RTHK, get vaccinated. But if people are not feeling confident that about the Sinovac jab, isn't the consequence going to be that they're just not going to take it? Everyone is going to wait for the Pfizer jab and the Sinovac jab is, is going to be pretty much, you know, ignored, cast aside. Well, um, actually, um, before the, the starting of the, the vaccination program, we have uh, conducted a survey uh, end of last year and early this year that, uh, in fact, uh, the, the results of the, the, the survey shows that uh, the popularity of uh, the side of that is much lower than the, the other two. That's one thing. 
And the other thing is that uh, we, we don't have uh, sufficient information regarding the, the safety of this uh, uh, vaccine, I mean, the Sinovac. Uh, if you look at the, uh, the, the website of the Department of Health, or in relation to the, the vaccination program, there's a report published by the, the government, prepared uh, uh, um, by the advisory panel on COVID-19 vaccines. Uh, this report only made in the English, and it attached to uh, um, report uh, issued by the um, the vaccine, uh, the, the, the manufacturer, developer of the vaccine, uh, uh, it is in <coughs> simplified Chinese. <coughs> I mean, simplified means that it's a font. Uh, it's not the, the usual uh, the Chinese that, uh, traditional Chinese that uh, we, we read in, in, in Hong Kong. That means if you don't understand English, you don't read uh, simplified Chinese, you don't understand the, the meaning of this report, the report. Make no use for you. So, so I think the, gov- uh, the Hong Kong people is prepared to, to receive information, especially on safety or uh, for their risk assessment before uh, getting the vaccine. So, without this information, it's, it's difficult for people to really understand the risk behind the, the vaccine, and not to mention uh, taking steps to, to get the vac- uh, injection. So, um, the government also has to. Um, uh, put some plan or uh, do some um, measures to, to ensure that people getting infections uh, are suitable for, for it. Because uh, if you look at the uh, informed consent form uh, before you, you take the injection, that uh, it only confirms that uh, you, you have read the, uh, the vaccine of the relevant uh, uh, vaccine. And you also have the, the opportunity to put questions, and your uh, questions are answered to your satisfaction. But in fact, there are no people in the vaccination center to answer your questions. There are no doctors, there are no nurses to, to be there to answer your questions. So, so it is merely for you to understand your own uh, personal medical condition and take your own risk to get the injection. This is possible. Right, so the onus is on the public to somehow educate themselves before they get there. And if, if there's not enough information out there, how are they supposed to do this? Well, they, they have to ask. And it is the government's stance that, that you should ask or consult your family doctor. I think it is ridiculous. So then why, uh, why go to the public vaccination centre if you have to go to your doctor first anyway? <laughs> well, well, yes. Right? Yes, I you, mean, have a, you, you have a choice, but uh, we're talking about, you know, encouraging millions of people in Hong Kong to take the vac- vaccination, and uh, the government expects you to, each and every one of you, to consult a, a family doctor before the vaccination. It is, it is not good. I mean, it seems like it's a, it's a, a fragmented process where what, what is probably going to happen now is people will go to see their family doctor, which they normally have to pay for, um, and based on what their family doctor says, maybe have the vaccination at their family doctor, not at the, at the government centre, unless the government centres can up their services so that questions can be answered and people can, people's concerns can be addressed on site. Well, first, you have to ask the family doctor if they read uh, Simplified Chinese. <laughs> if not, then uh, you, you, you should talk about uh, your, your consultation and uh, not to mention you're paying the money. Uh, but I, I, as I said, uh, the government has the ability to ensure that uh, the uh, people getting the vaccination 
uh, will be doing it uh, safely. And who said they have the uh, the system? I think most of Hong Kong people would have uh, um, uh, records with the the government hospital that uh, they have a system to to record uh, every uh, consultation drugs you are taking. Uh, last time you have the uh, consultation or uh, surgical uh, procedure. Uh, with this system and information, the, the, the medical staff at the vaccination center can easily find out whether you are suitable or whether your condition is stable for the, uh, the injection. It, it, but the point is the government will constantly uh, quote and point to the expert panel. Uh, the expert panel has a lot of talent on it, uh, including uh, Gabriel Lung, uh, the Dean of the Medical Faculty at the University of Hong Kong, and other very distinguished academics with a long experience, very trustworthy uh, people. Uh, if they, They're the experts, the real experts. Uh, they're making the decisions, uh, not the politicians, so we should trust them, shouldn't we? Yeah, we should. Uh, I think their credentials are, are not questionable. Uh, however, it is still uh, your own um, decision to, to go into the vaccination centre and take the vaccine. Uh, so before that, uh, number one, you, you should take your own responsibility. And number two, the government also has a duty to ensure that, that those people going into the vaccination centre will get it uh, safely and uh, with no uh, complications, you know, certain complications are acceptable, but not that. So if you see fatality, if people die from uh, or, or after the vaccination, you have to you have to make sure that the people are satisfied that uh, they are not uh, related. The two events, the vaccination and death, are not related to each other. So uh, what, what we see from from the government is that uh, uh, they 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 found that oh these people shouldn't have uh, the injection because uh, of their own condition. Okay, a, a comment from uh, Tom who said, "When can people with chronic disease take the vaccine? No instructions and advice from experts and the government so far. Is that how you see things, Mr. Lamb?" Well, there, there are a few mentions about uh, exclusion of people uh, with certain conditions in the vaccine. The question is, really is uh, how many people do with this vaccine? Uh, and and if you try, have you ever tried to log on? computer and try to book a Exactly, the 
Okay, some uh, more emails. Uh, uh, A says, Dear Backchat, it's great that Hong Kong has finally opened up access to the vaccine programme to more groups. I am wondering, however, when we can expect it to be widened to the general public. Given there are many slots not being taken, it would make sense to now let whoever wants the vaccine to be allowed to sign up, regardless of some of the big worries around Sinovac and patients with pre-existing health conditions. Hong Kong needs to get this vaccine programme widened. Let's open it to all who want it. Um, uh, uh, Alison says, I have several friends who work in the local hotel sector who are now eligible to sign up for the vaccine programme. From what I hear, almost none of their staff will take the Sinovac vaccine. Uh, and uh, Matthew says, uh, responding to Professor Cowling in the first part of the programme, thank you for the clear answer. Uh, if Sinovac is actually being used for over 60s on the mainland, given that we are one country, do you know if the mainland has made their death rate and side effect data transparent to us? Uh, if not, then should they? Um, thanks very much indeed for those comments and thank you very much indeed to uh, Alex Lam who's uh, chairman of uh, Hong Kong Patients Voices and to uh, all those who commented uh, on Facebook and uh, in email wanted to turn finally today to the drama of uh, Prince Harry and uh, Meghan Markle uh, on Facebook Horatio says of that interview uh, with Oprah Winfrey, I'm not watching it because no person can think he or she can manipulate everyone through media. Oprah made her fortune from digging into people's lives for years. Guests come on these shows to air out their dirty laundry in return for money. As for Meghan, she's throwing all her toys out of the cot because she just realised she married the wrong brother. A measured but straightforward response from Her Majesty the Queen. She, by the way, also didn't want the job, but took one for the team anyway. And that was 68 years ago. I have more respect for this one person than the other three combined. And uh, TC says, uh, Horatio, well said. Uh, although the comment about Archie's skin colour and Meghan's suicidal thoughts were hard to take. I think she knew, or should have known, what she was signing up for. That's uh, from uh, TC. Uh, and uh, John says we should be deeply grateful to Meghan, Harry and the whole cast of characters at Buckingham Palace for giving us something to talk about other than coronavirus and real or imagined Chinese perfidy. Uh, comic relief is most welcome in this dismal world. That comes uh, from John. Tim Hamlet joins us now, writer of the Hong Kong Free Press, former associate uh, professor of journalism at The Baptist View. Uh, Tim, good morning to you. Thanks for, for joining us. Is, it, is this comic relief or is this uh, uh, dr high drama, tragedy? How would you see this? Um, oh, well, it's a sort of real-life soap opera, I suppose. I don't <laughs> find it um, very uh, amusing. I say it's a sad story, really. How so? Why, why sad? Oh, you know, I, I mean... It's, She's not the first person to, to, to marry into a royal family and discover that it's really, really unpleasant experience. Um, you know, it was a Japanese um, lady who, who married the heir to the throne who complained surreptitiously afterwards that it was awful living in the bed. Not, not the most because of him, um, but because of the people who, who, who run the palace and have very sort of stuffy ideas. And you, you, you can trace this back to the, uh, the people who married Austrian emperors made the same sort of complaints, that there were rituals and there were rules which they didn't understand and there were old people who insisted on having their way. Um, it's a sad story. You know, I, 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 she, it's all very well to say that she should know what she was letting herself in for, but um, you know, when you're in love with someone, you... you don't take much notice of their warnings, I suppose. 
Um, I mean, Tim, I watched the entire interview and I did not get the impression that um, uh, uh, Megan was she was very reasoned and very measured in what she said, and she was she took pains to separate the members of the royal family from you know what we refer to as the institution and the firm. And I think I think what is shocking is that you know this is not the 1800s anymore. This is the 2020s. We we live in a totally different world. And although you may say that yeah, she should have known what she was signing up for, it, it's you would think that you know an institution like this would hopefully move with the times and and that seems to be obviously not what is happening so i I don't know if there's going to be any lasting effect but i was actually pleasantly surprised by the tone and also the candid uh, nature of everything that was revealed well it's um it's difficult for for the institution to 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 come into the 2020s because it's it's a basically medieval concept that, that uh, you, you have a family and, and they pass the crown down through the generations. Um, it's it's fairly, I think, probably now regarded by a lot of people as an anachronism. I, I think a lot of people would not dream of disturbing it while the Queen is the Queen because um, she's been there for a long time and, and you know, have to be my age to dimly remember a time when someone else was doing the job. But uh, after she goes, I, I think there will be a lot of pressure for, for the whole thing to be rethought and possibly even uh, abolished because it's, uh, it's an anachronism. It's interestingly, the Queen is the one person who comes off very well out of all of this. Both Meghan and Harry repeatedly say how much they admire and respect and love her. Um, so, yeah, I think you're right. Once she goes... It's all up for grabs. But what, how do you abolish the royal family? Is there a process for that to happen? Uh, well, you can I'm, cut I'm, off their heads. Done it. Of course, sometimes <laughs> it's messy and you cut their heads off. Uh, <laughs> I don't think that would be acceptable in the 2020s either. <laughs> no, I, I mean, the, the, there is a, a, a big sort of confusion between, between what's theirs and what's national property. Um, and so it would be, a, it would be difficult. Um, an intricate business, but if you removed the constitutional functions and and had a president, then um, it would involve. Well, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be that difficult. Um, you would have to decide what to do about all that money and the and the castles and the palaces and the, and the, the art collection and Cornwall, but. Um, it's, it wouldn't be impossible. It, but is, is the royal family's role still important? Their charitable work, their outreach work, the the, the causes around which they raise awareness, is, does that still matter? Do, the, do, do we need them for that? I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. I, I mean, you know, I never had anything to do with any of these people, except, with the one exception of Princess Alexandra, who, who was the Chancellor of the University of Lancaster when I was the chairman of the student thing and uh, and she would come up once a year in a helicopter <laughs> and land and have lunch and uh, because of my student chairman thing I was sat next to her and uh, I must say she was very nice no, neither of us ate very much because she talked to me the whole time and neglected the old geezer on the other side of her um, 
And she was a nice lady, and then she gave out the degrees, and then we went back to the grassy patch where the helicopter was waiting, and she helicoptered away. Um, and that was her annual contribution. And I, I don't know, you know, that, uh, that it was really very difficult to, to, to replace. <laughs> um, but it, it was, it was nice. It was, it was pleasant. Uh, she was nice and she was pleasant. Uh, but the, the idea that, uh, every worthy body has to have someone with a title as its patron or, or colonel in chief or whatever is uh, probably a bit anachronistic. I, mean, I imagine in other places they manage without that sort of thing. Yeah, now people would like a social media influencer to be their patron. It's probably more valuable in terms of visibility. Well, that's an alarming thought. <laughs> <laughs> but I suppose that, you know, it does bring back the whole question of how relevant is the royal family to to anybody? I mean, the, the, the British royal family, of course, uh, you know, interestingly, in the interview, they referred to their tours of um, Africa and their South Pacific tour, which was Australia, New Zealand, Tonga and Samoa. And you do see, you know, huge fanfare, huge coverage around those sort of goodwill tours. Um, I just wonder, you know, if they things like that go away, is is anyone going to miss them? I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. Um, I mean, it's difficult to imagine a tour by Boris Johnson having the same salubrious effect. Um, obviously, being being in the role gives you opportunities to do good things as as well as to wallow in um, a very lavish lifestyle. Um, and some of them do a lot of good things, and some of them get involved in uh, the Epstein sex case. And and uh, you know you you to some extent you <laughs> you take part luck um, because it's not something for which people are selected. They they either they're, they're born to it or they marry into it. Um, so there is a sort of quality control issue. There's obviously an opportunity for a, for a lot of good things to be done, but um, whether whether they are done and whether it's worth the the enormous expense of the the British version of it is, I think, questionable. Mm. I, I mean, I think it's fair to say that uh, Prince Harry was, before his uh, wedding, uh, one of the most popular uh, of the members of the, of the royal family in Britain, um, certainly one of the most followed, or most closely followed by the, by the press, and the tabloid press in particular. And then um, Meghan Markle has become a, really a figure of hate, of extreme vitriol. If you look at um, the comments by uh, by readers, for example, in the Daily Mail, who incidentally had thirty one articles uh, in yesterday's newspaper on just on this on this one topic as a best selling uh, uh, newspaper. Um, the 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 level of abuse is quite extraordinary. You've got Piers Morgan also mm -hmm. calling her all kinds of yes, names, but he's a horrible person, and now, and now he's yeah, resigned. He, why why do why do people hate her so much? Or is the answer very obvious? Is it staring you in the face? I uh, know it's not staring you in the face. I mean, there 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 are um, a, a, I mean, there are several things that people find questionable about Meghan Markle. And one is that he's Amer she he, she's American, which doesn't go down well with everyone. <laughs> and uh, 
Another one is that she's um, divorced, which used to be a no-no. You know, Princess Margaret wasn't allowed to marry the love of her life because he was a divorcee, and, and King Edward VIII actually had to resign. Um, and then she's she's an actress, you know, and the people who've worked in the business tend to be warned not to get involved with actresses because a lot of them are crazy. Um, so, and then, of course, uh, you know, the, the elephant in the room is, is the fact that she's black, mm-hmm. um, at least by American standards where, you know, any, if any of your ancestors is um, going, going back to the Mayflower is black, then you're black. Um, I suspect if, if you met her in the street in the UK, you, you, know, you just think she'd been on holiday in Spain because she doesn't look ostentatiously um, ethnic minority. But uh, I, I think that that is a problem for some of the tabloid journalists is, is, is the race thing. Mm. I, I think you, you would have to be very um, fond of the Daily Mail uh, and people get on the charge of having yeah. a bit of a problem with the fact that she's, she's not white. So now, now that this has all been said, that she's actually said that you know there was explicit racism within the family it's all out in public now what happens next does anything happen next or is will this just blow over by next week well i I think it's it's putting it a bit strongly to say there was explicit racism i mean if you are um, a hong kong person who who marries across the you know if you when i married the chinese lady um some people said things about our offspring, which mm-hmm. were not intended to be offensive and uh, and, and weren't taken as offensive. I mean, you know that uh, mixed race kids always look cute. <laughs> One of the things that was said to me, um, and uh, I I can imagine circumstances in which someone would explore the question of what Archie would look like without intending to be rude or disparaging or. or whatever, just, you know, if you're um, in that situation, it's something which crosses your mind. And he's ginger, which is interesting. Um, but, not, but the fact that the conversation was about, had, you know, is hmm? is really more, what it's more about. Is what? The fact that the conversation, that it was brought up as an issue. Well, was it? I don't know if it was brought up as an issue. I don't know whether it was an, an issue or just you know, without knowing the context in which it came up, it's difficult to tell whether it's a, it's an unconscious bias thing or a conscious prejudice or a, or just a bit of clumsy phraseology or or perhaps she's being a little sensitive. Um, I don't know. Hmm. Okay, uh, one uh, email from. Uh John, who says, say thanks to Tim Hamlet for me. His line explaining there's a sort of quality control issue in the royal family has provided the laugh of the week. That's from John. Tim Hamlet, thank you very much indeed uh, for uh, joining us. Just some other other emails. Um, Mike says, Richard II, who emailed earlier, is definitely not a doctor. His explanation of heart attack and inflammation is juvenile and non-scientific. He needs an education. I'll try to give the 30-second version, damaged blood vessel has an acute inflammation response causing swelling of that blood vessel and in some cases complete blockage due to the swelling caused by the acute short-term inflammation. That comes from uh, Mike. Uh, Careful what you say about Richard II, uh, Mike. 
Um, Martin says, now the show promotes to ignore Sinovac and rather go for the BioNTech. Do your guests really think there will be no similar reactions to the biotech vaccine? Uh, many countries did report adverse reaction effects for BioNTech as well. Wouldn't it be better to also put those numbers in context, for instance, to the average death rate or hospitalization for a particular age or risk group? Uh, and uh, uh, Jay uh, has a link to a Guardian story from the Guardian newspaper. Should Elizabeth II be Elizabeth the last? At least allow Britain uh, debate. Uh, Magnus, I'm afraid that is such a long email. So I'll have to deal with it uh, tomorrow. So uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, in the meantime, uh, Karen, thank you very much indeed. Let's see if we can just squeeze thank in one. Thank you, Hugh. Great to be here. Email from uh, S, who says if one is in such a high position, one has to put up with all sorts of comments from the public. Even Diana went through all sorts of comments, but that never caught the headlines. What about Megan's parents' side? Did Oprah ask her about that? That's uh, from S. Here's the weather before we go. It's going to be mainly cloudy. Temperatures lingering around 20 degrees during the day with a couple of light rain patches at night. 19 degrees, the latest readings, and the relative humidity is at 79%. The Building Management Ordinance requires an owner's corporation to open an interest-bearing account for financial management. An income and expenditure summary must be displayed prominently in the building for seven straight days by the treasurer every three months. For buildings with more than 50 flats, financial statements shall be audited by an accountant. Financial control measures help prevent malpractice. Manage the finances of your owner's corporation wisely. 933, the news with Ben Chang. Hong Kong's biggest teachers' union has expressed concern that the government could force teachers to take COVID vaccines after they were added to a list of priority groups being encouraged to accept free inoculations. The union's vice president, Yip Kin Yun, says teachers should be allowed to decide for themselves. Health officials say another man is severely ill days after taking a Sinovac vaccine. He's thought to have suffered a heart attack, and there's no indication yet whether the vaccination had anything to do with his illness. The Department of Health says the chronically ill 51-year-old had diabetes and hypertension. And a new report from the World Health Organization has found a third of all women experience physical or sexual violence at some point in their lives. It's the largest ever study of violence against women and includes data from the years 2000 to 2018. The WHO says the coronavirus pandemic has exposed more women to violence. I'll have more news at 10. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Morning. Hi. Good morning. And good morning to you too. How are you doing? Excellent. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. Fine, thank you. Thanks for inviding me to your show. How are you? Good morning, man. How are you? Good to see you. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning. Yeah, and good morning and welcome to Wednesday. It's The Morning Brew with me, Phil Whelan. And start at 10.10 with our second film festival preview of the week. From Albert Lee this time, who's the executive director.